Garden Basics with Farmer Fred is brought to you by Smart Pots, the original, lightweight, long-lasting fabric plant container. It's made in the USA. Visit smartpots.com slash Fred for more information and a special discount. That's smartpots.com slash Fred. Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. Today we feature two garden crops that might still be lingering at your place, outdoors or indoors. It's popcorn and pumpkins. The plant of the week is that Halloween decoration that's collecting mold on your front porch right now, pumpkins. But it's more than something to be used as an October 31st ornament. UC Davis Arboretum Superintendent Emeritus Warren Roberts discusses the history of the pumpkin and the vital uses it has served humans for more than a thousand years. Plus, it's kind of tasty, too. We're still getting questions from gardeners about their outdoor popcorn crop here in USDA Zone 9. Retired college horticulture professor Debbie Flower and I have tips for harvesting and enjoying this versatile crop. And we have a few warnings to pass along as well. Podcasting from Barking Dog Studios here in the Butylon jungle in suburban purgatory, it's episode 151 of the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast, brought to you today by Smart Pots and Dave Wilson Nursery. And we'll do it all in under 30 minutes. Let's go. Hi, Fred. I understand you're our area's popcorn celebrity, so I have some questions. I grew strawberry popcorn in Smart Pots in my Carmichael backyard this year, and I'm trying to decide when and how to harvest, dry, etc. The husks are starting to turn brown, and the kernels are hard, but they don't come off the cob easily yet. After I pick them, should I leave them in the husk and let them dry for a longer time? Can I pop them on the cob in the microwave just by putting them in a paper bag? And is there anything else uh, you would recommend that I do? They're super cute, and I'm really excited. Thanks. Oh, we love super cute popcorn. Uh, It's fun to grow. Debbie Flower is here, our favorite retired college horticultural professor. And uh, Debbie, growing your own popcorn is fun, but there are certain steps you have to take along the way. And and one of the critical times is at harvest time. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people wait too long or don't wait long enough to harvest they, they're thinking in terms of sweet corn. But when it comes to popcorn, you can wait for that entire stock to turn brown. Uh-huh. In our area, that's usually the first week of baseball playoffs in October. <laughs> you would just snap off or cut off the, ear. the ears, husk and all, and put it in a place where there's good air circulation and let it dry for a couple of weeks. Because what you're trying to achieve is a moisture consistency of somewhere between 13 and 17 percent oh of course i yeah mm. <laughs> well. you definitely know more about growing popcorn than i do uh i just understand that the reason it pops is that the uh outer coating on each kernel gets to be so hard that the water when you when we heat it the water inside boils and it causes the explosion of the kernel hence if you let it get too dry, it won't pop. Not enough moisture yeah. to cause the boiling. And if you harvest it when there's way too much moisture, it only opens a slight bit. Aha. Uh-huh. So that 13 to 17% moisture level. Now, I mean, if you want to spend the money, you can buy corn, popcorn moisture meters. Really? Yes. Wow. But I, I wouldn't go that far. I think all you really need to do is uh, 
try it on your stovetop. And so anyway, after you've harvested those ears with the husks still on, just put them in a place. I like to put them in orange bags. I used to say pantyhose, but nobody knows what that is anymore. <laughs> or or sweet potato bags. Yeah, sweet potato bags. Something that has good a air circulation. Bag. Right. Anything where they can get some good air circulation, I would leave it there for a week or two. And then open up the husks and take a handful of kernels, four, five, six, or seven kernels, and stick them on the stovetop in a pan with a little bit of oil in it. Let the oil heat up first. Throw in those kernels. If they pop together, that's a good sign. If they fully opened, it's ready. If, on the other hand, they only open up a little bit, they're not ready yet. So use that as a guide. Now, let's say they do open a little bit. Then go back out to where you've got all those wrapped up husks and peel off the husks and then just leave the corn cobs. Because that'll that expose them more and give they'll dry, dry out a little, little bit faster. Right. Mm -hmm. And then within a few days, try that popping test again on mm -hmm. the stovetop. When all the kernels that you put in at the same time in that heated oil pop in fairly close range, then you're ready. And then what you do is you strip off the kernels, which is not an easy job. I was going to ask if that was easy. They don't just fall out. No, no, they don't fall out. And you will go through a pair of gloves if you're trying to peel them off with your fingers and, and do wear gloves. Because if you try peeling them off uh, with you'll your fingers, no you'll have no skin left. <laughs> there are devices you can buy that strip the kernels off of popcorn cobs. Uh, one of my favorites is called the little stripper. But, <laughs> But uh, there are more proper names for it, and we'll have some links online about where you can find these. And these are basically like metal-shaped cones that you would put over one end, and in these cones are ribs. And you just twist it as you go down the cob, and the kernels fall off. So it's not the round circle with the sort of teeth on it that you push down a... a cob of corn to knock off the corn. Right. This is something different. Right. Because when on sweet corn like that, yeah, those those kernels will just, you know, fall off very nicely yes. because they're not that strongly attached. Right. But on popcorn, they are strongly attached. Okay. And you want that cone to sort of keep them from flying all over the place. Yes. Mm -hmm. When you do that and do it in, inside a big, like eight quart Dutch oven or so to even uh, limit their spread. Mm -hmm. And then you have the issue after you do that of you can have a lot of frass mm -hmm. in there. And one of the easiest ways to get rid of it is to put it in a nylon bag where you might put... Uh, laundry? Laundry. Is it a laundry bag? Yeah, that... like a laundry bag. Okay. Like for bras or right. whatever. Put it in one of those bags and go outside and shake it. And the frass will go out the, the holes? Right. And get rid of it that way. Or if you have uh, an old hair dryer, put it on low setting, on cool, and you can uh, spread out those kernels on, say, a cookie sheet and then blow it. Into your yard. And the frascos and the kernels stay. Right. Then you want to store them properly. And it should be a fairly airtight situation. I like to use canning jars mm -hmm. and just fill it up and put a lid on it. And you, you can use uh, you can use a, a, a seal -a meal too, mm -hmm. and do it that way. What, what about a Ziploc bag? If you can squeeze out a lot of the air. I think they're not as uh, um, resistant to air and moisture movement as a jar is. Right, right. The problem, though, is you may be sealing up those kernels with either too much moisture or too little moisture. Mm -hmm. So I would recommend that you jar it or 
put it in other containers that are fairly small so you're not going to contaminate the whole bunch uh, in too large of a jar mm-hmm. because if uh, it is it has too much moisture you're going to see mold forming mm-hmm. if there's not enough moisture the easy trick is to just put a few drops of water in it shake it up and let it sit for a week in that mm-hmm. jar and then they should be okay to pop and if there's not en- enough moisture they won't pop at all if there is not enough moisture yes they will not pop at all and anybody who has ever bitten on an unpopped hybrid variety popcorn knows those can take your fillings out. <laughs> they're, they're very hard. The beauty of growing heirloom popcorn, like one of my favorites, is called uh, Pennsylvania Butter Flavor 1886 Popcorn. Mm-hmm. And those kernels that don't pop, it's, it's like a crunchy treat. Oh, yeah. They're very soft. Nice. And I, I I like that. A lot of heirloom varieties are like that. The hybrid varieties, uh, not much so. Now, we noticed that she mentioned about sticking uh, the whole cob inside a microwave in a bag and turning it on. Mm-hmm. How's your fire insurance holding up? <laughs> yes, uh, I, I did that with my kids once and it caught fire. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people, if they do use some sort of microwave uh, cooker, or a popcorn popper is they leave it on too long. Use it with the suggested amount to put in that popcorn popper along with the suggested time. On the Presto air uh, popper that I use in the microwave, it says one third a cup of popcorn, unpopped popcorn, and uh, turn on the microwave on high for three minutes and 15 seconds. With with the corn in there? Oh yeah, with the corn in there. there. There's a lid on this popper. Okay. Well, you just said the oil. So oh no, no, well that that's stovetop. That's a we can go on all the methods of cooking popcorn. Yes. There's air poppers. There's the microwave poppers, and you don't need to use oil, and that's why I like it on the microwave. Mm. Oh. So yeah, less oil. There's less oh, okay. less fats. Nice. Yeah. And of course, the old fashioned. I mean, I grew up making popcorn. I think since the time I could reach the top of the stove. On the stove, yeah. And it was an old frying pan uh, with a lid, and there was a big container of old bacon grease on uh-huh. the side. And mm-hmm. I was using that, mm-hmm. and uh, it's very tasty popcorn. I bet. Yes, and you just shake it constantly so, so it doesn't burn. Professor, can I review? See if I got this lesson right. Sure. Okay, so you're going to harvest. To harvest, you want to wait till the stalk is completely brown. Yep, correct. And then cut or break the uh, ears off. Right. And still let, in the husk. Still in the husk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Still covered up. Just cutting them off the off the stalk, and then use the stalk for decoration. Sure. Yeah. And then take them in the house and put them in an, a place where they're a situation where they're going to get lots of airflow. Uh, a bag that you buy yams in, or you could use maybe those laundry bags, um, and let them sit for a week or so. Mm-hmm. Probably two weeks. Two weeks. Yeah. Sit, let them sit for two weeks. Then take off a few kernels, four or five. Heat some oil on the pan and throw the kernels in. And what we're looking for is even popping of all the kernels at the same time, and they should be fully popped. Right. If they don't pop enough, then they're going. They're probably under uh, dried and need a, a little bit more time. If right. they need a little bit more time, then we're going to pull the husks off and let the put them back in the area, put the ears back in the area situation and let them dry for uh, another week, let's say, and try again. And we do that until we get even popping of all the kernels. Then we take the kernels off of the ear. 
we do not want to try to pop them on the ear because that causes fire. Yes. <laughs> so we take the kernels off the ear and there's a special cone for that. And then we have to separate the frass from the kernels. Mm-hmm. And that's done with air primarily right. somehow. Blow it with a cool hair dryer, put it back in a in a bag with, with holes and shake it outside, something like that. And then store it in small canning jars because... There could be a bad kernel in there that could mold the whole jar. It so, smells bad, too. Does it? Yeah, yeah, I bet. Moldy things generally do. Yeah. And then there are many, many methods for popping the corn, but we do not want to pop the whole ear in the microwave. Correct. <gasps> Yay. And it should last for over a year. Oh, wow. In those containers. Now, if you discovered that they didn't pop at all, that they were too dry, mm. One thing you could try is what we talked about is, well, go ahead and put it in a jar, but add a little bit of water, a few drops of water mm-hmm. to that small jar, shake it up, and see in a week or so if that helps, mm-hmm. and you might get them to pop. Corn kernels are seeds. So corn kernels contain baby plants mm-hmm. and food for the baby plants. So at some point, they could dry out so much they would just die, but... Seeds are pretty can get pretty dry before that happens. I'm just thinking out loud. Sorry. That's okay. Uh, <laughs> with heirloom varieties, and if you're growing heirloom varieties, you don't want to save some seed for planting the next mm-hmm. year. Be sure you're not growing any other varieties of popcorn near it. And especially don't mix sweet corn with popcorn when you're planting corn. Right. It's either one or the other. You need like 500 feet of separation between sweet corn and popcorn. Because, so you're going to have to check with your neighbors in most cases. If you're growing popcorn, you want to make sure your neighbors aren't growing sweet corn. Another way to do that, too, is to find out when they're planting and then arrange your planting um, so yes. that they're not, uh, you know, setting pollen at the same yes. time. I was in Ames, Iowa once, and that's a big agriculture school, and it's a big corn-growing state. And they had uh, basically tents. They were rectangular of a very fine mesh, and they were growing their corn inside of those tents, mm-hmm. In I assume, in Iowa. Yeah, to avoid cross-pollination. Uh, yes, yes, right. Yeah. right. Well, especially with, with hybrid varieties uh, like that, where they're trying to grow just one strict variety. If your neighbor has a different hybrid variety, it might be an interesting mix. It's the one crop where the part that we eat is influenced by how it was pollinated this year, yeah, that, year you that is it. unusual. It is unusual. The yeah. other, the other crops like melons and cucumbers and things, they can be pollinated by close relatives that produce different fruit. But the fruit you get on those plants in year one, in year one, yes, is what that plant was designated to produce. Yeah. However, the change occurs in the seed. And in corn, the seed is the thing that we eat. So we see that change in the first year. Right. But yeah, you can definitely save the seed for planting in the following year. And uh, you would save those seeds like you would save any seed in a cool, dry location. Mm-hmm. And um, and then plant paper, them when the soil is warm. container in the refrigerator is my, in, in a Ziploc bag or a jar. Okay, that'll work. That's my choice. Here. For me. It's in a box in the office. <laughs> okay. But not in the garage. Yeah. Where it gets very hot and very cold and very dry and very wet. Yeah. There is some amazing tasty popcorn varieties that you probably have never experienced that if you grew up just eating Redenbacher and Jolly Time and everything you buy at, at the grocery store or for that matter, movie popcorn, 
heirloom popcorn actually has taste. Yeah, I was thinking movie popcorn and jolly time, etc. The taste is in the butter and the salt. Yeah, exactly. Or cinnamon or whatever you put on. Right. It. And right. If, if you're, you're on a diet and you're not eating butter and salt, then it's boring food. Popcorn is high in fiber. It's high in protein. And as long as you don't muck it up with uh, too much fat, mm-hmm. you know, you're OK. But the heirlooms are going to give you that taste. Right. That, that makes it so much better. It'll persuade you to use less butter and salt. And, there you go. And other get the oils. protein and the fiber, which are the good right. parts. Yeah. All right. Lori, I think you'll have a fun time growing popcorn, and that strawberry popcorn is certainly beautiful, too. By the way, if you uh, did decide to plant several varieties of heirloom popcorn of different colors, you're going to get some interesting mixes on the cobs of colors. Mm-hmm. I assume strawberry popcorn is red. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there's things like uh, Cherokee long ear or Wisconsin black. Uh, and Pennsylvania buttercorn is uh, is sort of a pale yellow. But I've had instances where I've grown uh, mixed like Wisconsin black, Cherokee long ear and the Pennsylvania buttercorn. And you end up with a cornucopia of colors on one cob. But it all still pops. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. So have fun, Lori. I think that'll be a, a, a fun thing to do next year again. Thank you, Debbie. <laughs> My pleasure, Fred. I learned from this for sure. <laughs> okay. We're glad to have Smart Pots on board supporting the Garden Basics podcast. Smart Pots, it's the original award-winning fabric planter. It's sold worldwide, and Smart Pots are proudly made 100% in the USA. Smart Pots come in a wide array of sizes and colors. If a frost or freeze is in the forecast, moving your frost tender plants that are in the Smart Pots that have handles make them easier to move closer to the house for added warmth, or you could even move them inside for the winter. Visit SmartPots.com Fred for more information about the complete line of Smart Pots lightweight, colorful fabric containers. And don't forget that slash Fred part, because on that page are details of discounts when you buy Smart Pots at Amazon. If you want to see them before you buy, Smart Pots are available at independent garden centers and select Ace and True Value hardware stores nationwide. To find a store near you, visit SmartPots.com Fred. If you're thinking of growing fruit trees, or maybe you already have your own backyard full of fruit trees, well, you probably have a million questions. Like which fruit trees will grow well where I live? What are the tastiest fruits to grow? How do I care for them? What are the most important things to know when starting a backyard orchard? Well, the good news is those answers are just a click away with the informative videos that you can find at DaveWilson.com. That's Dave Wilson Nursery, the nation's largest grower of fruit trees for the backyard garden. At DaveWilson.com, you'll also find planting tips, taste test results, fruit variety recommendations, and links to nurseries in your area that carry Dave Wilson fruit trees. Your harvest to better health begins at DaveWilson.com. If 
If you want more information about the topics discussed on today's podcast, including all the implements we discussed for drying, preserving, and enjoying popcorn, you can find it in the latest Garden Basics with Farmer Fred newsletter, where we go beyond the basics. Plus, we have tips for growing giant pumpkins in 2022. By the way, now is a good time to be planning your 2022 garden, because many of the seed catalogs have sales going on this month. We'll have a list of those garden outlets offering seeds at bargain prices. It's the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred newsletter on Substack. And best of all, it's free. There's a link in today's show notes, as well as near the top of the page at FarmerFred.com, or you can just go to Substack.com and do a search for the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred. That's Substack.com slash Garden Basics. Think of it as your garden resource that goes beyond the basics. It's the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred newsletter, and it's free. Every week, we like to talk with Warren Roberts out at the UC Davis Arboretum and Public Garden because every week he has a plant of the week. And today's plant is one that you may still have sitting on your front porch or even growing in your backyard or it's smashed up against a window. It would be the pumpkin. And Warren, uh, the pumpkin is a very interesting plant. Is it a vegetable? Is it a fruit? Is it a berry? What is it? Uh, That's a good question. It's a fruit, really. But uh, it's eaten usually if you eat it, you eat it as a vegetable, but not always. Yeah. Sometimes there's a wonderful candied uh, pumpkin in Mexico that's one of my favorite treats. But Cucurbita pepo is the botanical name. And Cucurbita uh, is a genus from the Americas, from Mexico down into the Andes. Actually, no, we have, as, as I think, we have... Uh, members of that genus and native in California too, not edible ones. But, mm. So, but the pumpkin itself is uh, probably originally from from Mexico. What you see today is uh, often a hybrid, especially the really really big ones, with another cucurbita called Cucurbita maxima, which is one that when I lived in the Andes in Peru, I got to know, and there is. Big as those big exercise <laughs> inflated balloons that you see two or three feet across. And, and not, usually in the markets, it would be sold not as, as a an entire fruit, but a big chunk. And the flesh was about four inches thick. Ooh. So the, 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 the color of that one is kind of a celadon green-gray. The hybrids, though, with uh, with the regular pumpkin are, are kind of a dark orange and those are the ones that win the prizes for biggest pumpkin, but they're not really the, strictly the the uh, the typical pumpkin species, Cucurbita pepo, which is a smaller uh, fruit. Now the pumpkin is used in the uh, as a jack o' lantern for uh, for uh, Halloween, but the original jack o' lanterns from Europe were actually hollowed out turnips or rutabagas. A turnip or a rutabaga that's gotten too woody or too old to eat really would be hollowed out. With it was used as a way of of transporting the coals. That is to say, live coals from a fire. But this is in times when there weren't matches available, and you had to uh, uh, bring the fire uh, in a, some kind of a container. And th- that was that was used for that. I found that out just recently. That's ingenious. Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, the pumpkin was a much easier and larger way of, of doing that uh, same thing. 
particularly this uh, this custom, I'm say I'm told comes uh, over uh, from from Ireland, and um, uh, the rest is <laughs> is tradition and history. Of, anyway, of the 27 or so species of Cucurbita, Cucurbita pepo is the one that that is called the pumpkin. Now, the the name Cucurbita comes from Latin and it means gourd. That uh, is a little bit slightly confusing because the genus Cucurbita is not found in Europe. And the winter melon in China, too, is similar uh, squash-like plants. But the true squashes, the ones that we call squash, are native to the Americas. Squash, I think, is an Algonquian Indian name from the central uh, Atlantic coast area. The pumpkin, by now... You have probably converted your pumpkins after after the holiday into something edible, maybe. You can make wonderful soup out of pumpkins or any of the so-called winter squashes. And my, I like my pumpkin soup flavored more with garlic and oregano than, than the traditional pumpkin spices. Occasionally you'll have pumpkin soup that uh, that tastes like pumpkin pie, and that's not my that's <laughs> not my personal favorite. You can always but roast the, the seeds too. Yes, the seeds, uh, and, and traditionally the seeds are roasted, uh, shelled in in Mexico to make pipián sauce, which is very tasty. Actually, some people actually take the toasted pumpkin seeds and crack them, and know how to do that without making a an inedible mess in the mouth. Hmm. <laughs> I'm not very very good. That's at a that, skill. So. I think so. <laughs> the, the pumpkin is an interesting plant because you have to grow it when the weather is warm. It grows during the summer, but it's still classified as a winter squash. It is, but it's not a terribly long-lasting winter squash, as we've often found out. We've let the jack-o'-lantern yes. out, or even an uncarved pumpkin, and all of a sudden when you pick it up, the bottom is rotted out. <laughs> so there are other squashes which last longer in the winter. But the young, the young, uh, the, the immature pumpkin can be uh, cooked kind of like you know, summer squash or uh, zucchini, or, or some of those wonderful uh, squashes that that have, are traditional in, in gardens in North America. Hmm. And then don't forget the flowers. The flowers can also be eaten, and you can have a, a pumpkin flower soup or uh, dip them in batter and fry them. So the, there are many ways to to eat the pumpkin and enjoy them. So yeah, and you get some protein too because there's usually ants in the flowers. Oh, well, yes, I would up the ante, wouldn't I? Thank you very I much. Think, <laughs> I think though, that that you probably want to wash them. Pumpkin, yeah, I mean ants. Ants would certainly add a bit of flavor. The formic acid might be a little bit much. Yeah, <laughs> just a bit. But <laughs> but they are they're they're performing a, a, a service. They're they're helping to pollinate. I suppose they. I suppose they are. I think though that often bees are busy doing the pollination as well. And there are different kinds of flowers. There are female flowers and male flowers on the same plant. And, and now we think of the typical pumpkin color. It's orange. The same same color, pretty much as uh, California state flower, California poppy, but there are now pumpkins that are mature and pure white. Right, the lumina. Have you seen mm -hmm. those? Yeah. Oh wow. yeah. <laughs> First time I saw one of these, oh, well, I was uh, I was amazed. I hadn't heard about them, and there they were for sale. Yeah, I planted uh, three different varieties of mini pumpkins this year: the Jill Be Little, the Wee Be Little, and Spark. 
and the spark was just gorgeous. It was like styrated red and orange coloring on on this um, mini pumpkin. And I noticed that uh, at the grocery store the other day, they were selling them for like $3 each. And my wife oh. turned to me and said, you should have grown more. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I, 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 the pumpkin is certainly part of, part of uh, American culture, but it's grown in, in other places as well. Now, pumpkin pie is most people that I know from other countries don't appreciate pumpkin pie that much. And hmm. I wish I liked it better than I do as well. But I certainly, in in South America, I became very fond of the pumpkin soup that is made quite delicious. There are seeds available, and really they're best planted from seeds. So a good thing to do during a late fall and winter is peruse the seed catalogs and look for pumpkin seeds that are interesting to you. Just remember that they do have a long growing season. It usually takes 90 to 120 days to get from uh, sowing to harvest. So, uh, you know, plant them after the soil has uh, warmed up considerably in, in mid-May through June and uh, stand back because those vines go everywhere. They do. Bless their hearts. <laughs> Warren Roberts and the plant of the week, the pumpkin. He's the superintendent emeritus of the UC Davis Arboretum and Public Garden. Thanks for a, a very colorful uh, plant of the week, Warren. Oh, you're welcome. It's my, my pleasure. Don't forget, if you want to learn more about the topics covered on today's episode of Garden Basics with Farmer Fred, subscribe to the free Garden Basics newsletter. It's on Substack. Details are in today's show notes. The Garden Basics podcast will be on its winter schedule from November through January. That means there will only be one episode per week during this three-month period. It'll come out on Fridays. But because there's so much to talk about, there's a good chance those weekly episodes are going to be longer than 30 minutes. Garden Basics with Farmer Fred is brought to you by SmartPots, and it's available for free wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and leaving comments. We appreciate it.